Are you about to start a podcast or producing a podcast and tired of doing the editing yourself? We have produced over 1,000 daily shows and the production team that I've created, they're now available to produce shows for you as well. We can do as little or as much as you need from finding and communicating with guests, preparing introductions, to editing the audio and video. You will sound better, have a more professional presence, and be able to spend your time doing other valuable tasks on your business. Let me know you're interested by emailing me directly at Whitney at LifeBridgeCapital.com. Most of the parking lots, like service parking lots, and even a lot of the garages are owned by just normal investors. A lot of those small mom and pops haven't yet adopted a lot of technology. Either they got a parking lot attendant taking cash, or they've got even those old honor boxes. If you guys have ever seen those metal boxes where you shove your dollar bills in, that's dollar signs to us because that means inefficiencies in a big way. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Well, today I'm going to continue my conversation with Kevin Buck. And we have had a great interview with him. We've talked about finding a mentor, what that relationship looked like, how that helped him in such a big way. He has shared so much about his experience. And we're going to cover so many more things. I know you're going to learn a lot from. He is the founder and CEO of Sunrise Capital Investors, which invests in mobile home parks, parking lots, apartments, offices, and single family homes across the U.S. He has 16 years of experience educating investors to locate, acquire, and create higher than average returns from a widely missed understood mobile home park investing niche. He shares his expertise through the Mobile Home Academy and also as a host of the Real Estate Investing for Cashflow podcast, which has become one of the hottest real estate podcasts on iTunes. Uh, he has a new book coming out and you can find that on Amazon, of course, but you can find it for free. He said at kevinbutt.com forward slash free book. Uh, speak to the reason to move, say, to parking and what that asset class is like. We haven't talked about parking on the, on the show too many times. Maybe once or twice, less than a handful, you know, 1,400 interviews. So why parking? What does that asset class look like? Maybe give us some of the pros and cons. Absolutely. That's a great question. And, you know, we've always liked to stay in our lane and stay focused. You can't be everything to everybody, you know, and it kind of scares me sometimes when you got guys out there or gals out there that are, we're buying self-storage and then we're buying mobile home parks and we're buying multifamily. And then, you know, we're also started buying medical office or whatever. Like, you know, they're, they're kind of spread out amongst many different asset classes. There's a lot of carryover and similarities each of these commercial asset classes, but there's also a lot of unique nuances as well with each individual one. And so we've always liked to stay in our lane and just really focus on being the best that we can in the manufacturer housing space. In addition to that, unlike in multi, traditional multifamily, there's not many professional property management companies in the manufacturer housing space. So we don't necessarily have the luxury of relying on a third-party professional management to oversee our day-to-day operations of our assets. And so we're vertically integrated on that side, which is a, it's a necessary evil. It's, a, it's the unsexy part of the business staff heavy. It's not very profitable. It's again, it's a necessary evil in order for us to run the investment side of the company. And so when we came across parking, I, I was introduced to it, you know, about four years ago, I interviewed a guy on my podcast. Again, I, I literally had never met anyone in my life that owned a parking lot or a parking garage. I knew someone owned them, but like, I just, just one of those asset classes you just never really think about. You never dig into too much. And I was intrigued by the business model. One of the biggest things I was intrigued about is that, you know, across the country, there are hundreds of professional operators. There's local, regional, and national operators. Many 
many publicly traded operators. But most of these operators, the majority of these operators, these multi-million dollar companies, they actually don't own the parking. They're just on the management side of the business. And what I found as we dug in deeper was that we thought mobile home parks were fragmented 10 years ago as far as the ownership structure. Parking lots were equal, if not more, fragmented as far as who owned them. You know, there's a few institutions in the space. If you go to Manhattan or you go to downtown Chicago, there's going to be private equity institutions that own some of those parking garages, the parking towers and things of that nature. But generally speaking, most of the parking lots, like surface parking lots and even a lot of the garages are owned by just normal investors, mom and pops, or just small time investors that are local to that marketplace. And in addition to that, a lot of those small mom and pops haven't yet adopted a lot of technology. There's still many parking lots you can go to in this country and you probably can't use a credit card. Either they got a parking lot tenant taking cash or they've got even those old honor boxes. If you guys have ever seen those metal boxes where you shove your dollar bills in, that's dollar signs to us because that means inefficiencies in a big way. That and even a physical parking lot attendant means major, major inefficiencies to us. And so we saw parking as an opportunity to buy an asset, knowing that we could rely upon a third-party professional operator that's got technology, they've got the infrastructure to take over the day-to-day, kind of like what you do in multifamily and not necessarily have to build out that side of our business. We didn't have to necessarily build out a vertical property management or operations company for the parking business. So it allowed us to actually enter into a new asset class. It has a lot of similarities that a mobile home parks. I mean, basically we're selling parking. We sell parking in mobile home parks as well, but without having to add additional staff to do that. In addition, we're able to pick up assets and great marketplaces, irreplaceable locations that make sense today as a cash flow covered land play. And we're not developers, we're not speculators. So anything we buy, it's got to make sense today as a parking lot, but inevitably its lowest use is of its present state. So if we're talking about a surface parking lot, it literally would be never worth anything less than what it is today as a piece of asphalt or gravel with cars parking on it. And so there's huge future upside as these local markets grow and as these surface lots go away and they go away for vertical developments to take place. Um, and so again, we just saw it as an opportunity to get into a new sector, get great assets and great locations, but not necessarily have to hire a lot of additional staff within the company to actually grow that side of the business. No, it's awesome. I appreciate just the detail around the parking type business and that asset class. Cause like I said, we've not talked to too many people on the show. That's that owns them, right? Like you said, it's just not, not as known as still fragmented. I love how you talked about something that you could see, Hey, we don't have to hire a bunch of people to get into this asset class. Uh, and maybe you did some research and you said that there were really good third-party management companies that are doing parking. And so you knew you could utilize them. Is that accurate? Absolutely. You know, and, and, and I'll give you an example of a recent deal we did. And so we've done a, we've done some small deals and we've done some fairly large deals. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to share the, the most recent one. It's a, it's a, it's a $34 million deal. It shows, you the inefficiencies in this space and where there are opportunity that lies. And so this one is a seven-story, 702 stall parking garage with 12,000 square feet of retail on the first floor. It's in Clearwater Beach. So it's in my backyard here in Florida. It was only built six years ago. So it was a private public partnership on Clearwater Beach. And so the there's a private local developer. They're mostly retail guys. And, and basically the city put out an RF, RFP. And, you know, they wanted to build this parking deck, you know, the North Beach area of, of uh, Clearwater Beach. And this local developer got the uh, got the contract. And ultimately, what occurred is the local developer ended up, they condoized this entire thing. So they condoized every floor. The, the private developer ended up owning the first floor retail. 
And then the first, second, and seventh floor of parking. I don't know how they arrived at that, but first, second, seventh floor parking. And then the city owned the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth floors of parking. And, you know, when they got into the endeavor, you know, there was a pro forma put forth to the city of like, this is what your investment of whatever, their, their investment was like $12 million. This is what your, your return is going to look like. And ultimately what played out in that scenario was, you know, the private developer got the first two floors, which in normal times, not, not just like, you know, you know, 4th of July weekends, in normal times, they're going to get the proportionate share of the revenue. So they did a really good job negotiating this with the city and they got the better side of the table there. It never met the city's pro forma at all for the five plus years that they've owned it. It sucked wind. It just did horrific because I'm not going to go into detail on the many reasons, but like the city was not happy with their investment. They wanted to take that money and redeploy it somewhere else. We ultimately met with both parties. We knew the private developer had considered selling it. It was a really hairy transaction, but we spent about a little over a year actually pulling both parties together. We both parts of the condo. And so we now we own the entirety of the structure. And before we went down that path, we met with a lot of local operators. The operator that was in that garage, for whatever reason, the city went with a group out of Atlanta. Literally, everything they managed was in Atlanta. They literally managed nothing in Florida. They didn't have any local market expertise. They weren't doing a great job. Very inefficient, old equipment. They had put some, some antiquated equipment in there. Didn't work half the time. The parking rates they were charging were literally $3 an hour when they should have been $6 an hour. They weren't changing pricing for really high demand peak times. And so just a lot of inefficiencies in their model. So we saw that as an opportunity. We went to a couple local operators, put an RFP while we were in negotiations on this entirety of the structure. And basically got a local operator that managed about 45 assets down along the beaches. They've been in the space for a long time and negotiated triple net lease with them on the entirety of the parking deck and ultimately had that in place before we closed the property. So we basically, we bought that $34 million, which in place NOI was roughly a six cap. What's actually really good because it's an institutional grade asset. We got at a really fair price going in, lots of headaches to get there. But with this new triple net lease in place, this new operator knew that they were going to raise rates. They were going to implement some dynamic pricing models and, and basically get peak rates when it's peak demand times and lower the rates when it's lower demand times. I mean, they were going to maximize the efficiency of this garage. And so we just got a, a recent appraisal done on this garage. And I'm just going to say, I'm not going to give the example, but it's in the, the low 40 millions. And so we added almost nearly $10 million of, of sweat equity. Literally just the value add plan was simply finding a better operator, finding a better operator that actually knew how to maximize the inefficiencies of that garage. And again, this is the institutional grade asset. The cities, they're not smart. They should not be in the business of owning real estate. They made bad decisions. They, they priced it wrong. They wanted to give away parking for free. They should have been charging more. They would have got the return they wanted. They just charged normal market rates. They didn't. Private developer was sick of being in a partnership with the city. You know, They were basically keeping uh, their ability to raise revenues down. So the private developer couldn't raise the prices because the city would have to agree to raise the prices. And it was a messy endeavor. I saw opportunity with those frustrations, right? So we, we pulled it together. And it, so there's a lot of deals out they're like that. And the thing is, is that there weren't other people charging for this deal. We had a little bit of competition, but it wasn't like what you and I experienced in the multifamily or the manufactured housing space. We weren't up against 10 other people to buy this property. And so that's the beautiful part of parking as well. There's, there's not nearly as much competition to buy these assets. Love that. You said so many great things about that deal. I appreciate the example. But something else that stood out, you know, you said it took a year to close on this. Sounds like it, there had to be somebody that was willing to go through that process of a year, right? And then going back and forth, I'm sure with the city and the developer and kind of being the middleman a little bit. I'm sure there were many frustrations there, but somebody had to be willing to do that. It, was a little bit, it ended up being a little bit messier than what I had laid out there, but that's for another show. But we ended up, ha we had to take some 
risk. We closed on a portion of the garage. We, we bought the private portion and we closed on that about six months prior to before. So we took some risks by doing that, but we knew that we had the better, we knew that what that part was, that was the better piece of this garage anyway. And so worst case scenario, it still would have been a phenomenal return. It would have been a great investment, not as good as owning the entirety of the structure, but it still would have been a phenomenal investment. And basically we bought the private portion and we made the city's life hell for about six months is what we did uh, by being in there and uh, just doing things a little differently than what the prior owners had done and uh, forced their hand a little bit to uh, to move a little quicker to sell their piece of it. Appreciate the, the color yeah, as well. It's definitely not an easy business or everybody would do it, right? Before we shift gears a little bit, how did you find a good property manager for parking? Like that's not something we've probably ever talked about on the show. Speak to that. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think uh, simply put, just literally go whatever respective market we're talking about, literally just go drive around and you'll find very quickly who the operators are in that area. Uh, you'll see their signs. I mean, most parking, if they've got a, you know, a credit card machine, um, or some type of pay station, it's going to be branded with the uh, the parking operator that manages that that particular lot or garage. In addition to that, they pretty much all of them have signage with phone numbers in case you have an issue with like getting your car out or there's some type of incident that happens there. So one way or another, m- most of it happens by just simply driving around or you can get on Google Earth. And now with technology, a lot, even the most antiquated parking companies at least can be found on like Google Places. Um, so you'll be able to find, you know, who actually manages this particular lot. And so that's it. it, it there's, re- there's really no rocket science to it. But who's the best or the who manages the most in a particular market's not necessarily the best. And so but what we have found in an area like a Tampa, any decent size MSA is going to have at a minimum, probably four or five fairly prominent operators. And so it gives you a good selection to choose from. All right, Kevin, I, w- I want to shift gears a little bit. I want to go back to, uh, if you're willing to relive it a little bit, I, I almost don't want to ask you to. But you know, the, obviously the 2008, the crash, all that stuff that happened then, and, and maybe you could elaborate a little bit on, I mean, even how that affected you, your business, obviously that's, I'm sure that's some rough times. You called it, what, three years of damage control, I think you said. And it's so obviously very hard stuff, but you didn't quit there, right? You didn't just say, hey, well, you know what? I'm going back the J-O-B route. I'm out of this real estate thing. Uh, you didn't do that. And I think a lot of people probably did, right? Never really recovered, probably mentally, you know, just from the loss, right? Uh, And recovered uh, and were able to keep going in this space, but you did, thankfully. Can you speak to that a little bit? Maybe what happened, but then I'd love to compare, hey, what's happening right now compared to then? What do you, you know, because you lived through that, you you were investing then, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. It was a challenging time. You know, I, um, looking back, you know, about the only thing I would have done differently is I would have, and I didn't stick my head in the sand. You know, I I gave real estate a break and I, I started a few side businesses that were, I got into, I met my, I literally met my now wife. I met her about three months before this major default happened. So it was kind of interesting timing. Yeah. Interesting timing to say the least. And I met her and and I knew that things weren't going on that great. And I remember having the conversation with her one day and we were riding at a place down the beach and we were riding our bikes and things were going well together. And I'm like, I really like this girl. Like I have a lot of fun with her, but like, I don't want to lead her down this, lead her astray down this path and think that, you know, he's got this waterfront property. I I knew things were going to get fairly ugly. And so I just laid it out and I said, I think it's going to be a bumpy road over the, over the next six to 12 months. She was in commercial banking. So like, but I still don't think she really understood the the breadth of it. I, I really don't, but she stuck by my side. And so we, and we're still together today. We're stronger because of it. And in, in any event, uh, the one thing that I would have done differently probably was start buying sooner. It's really hard to get yourself out of a bubble. Like when you're in the bubble. So like I, I had a lot of friends as well that lost a lot of money during that period of time. Florida was kind of one of the ground zeros. You're like Arizona, Las Vegas, California. You know, there was a number of markets that just got hit harder than a lot of other 
other markets, right? And so Florida was one of those. I mean, Florida, the state of Florida was just decimated. And so it was really hard for me to step back and actually get an outsider's perspective. I was I was just too far in ingrained in this local bubble or this you know, Florida bubble. And that's all that I heard was negative everywhere. And it was really hard to, to see the forest through the trees and all that. All the while, there was opportunities left and right. But to me, the sky was still falling and I didn't know it was going to stop falling, right? And so I, I would have started buying sooner because I feel like that we missed a couple of years of, of good opportunities or run up to where we are today. And so, but I, you know, I, I started a few side businesses uh, during that period of time that were related to health and fitness. I was a big runner at that point. My wife was a runner or my, my girlfriend at the time was a runner. And, um, and I really, the one thing I could control my life was how I felt. Every day I woke up, the first thing on my mind was what, who's going to knock my door today? What am I going to get served with? And, you know, just lot, lots of challenges there. But I, there's nothing I could do to fix that more than what I was doing. But the one thing that I could have complete and absolute control over was my body and how I felt every day, what I put into it, the fuel I put into it, and just the mental clarity that I needed to, to kind of push through those times. So I chose to start a business related to health and fitness and it allowed me to be around other people that were not real estate related, that were really focused on their body and their performance and things of that nature. And I honestly, I look back and like, that was probably one of the best decisions that I made because it really put me in a completely different mind state. I think it, it allowed me to stay healthy, mentally healthy with my relationship with my now wife at the time. Because if all I talked about on a daily basis was how bad things were and, oh, the real estate's horrible and I got bad credit now and I have no money, this, that, and the other, I'm pretty sure that she would have moved on and found someone else. And so as far as getting through it, I think that's really what carried me through is just really focusing on myself and just uh, making my myself be the, the best person I could be for not just me, but also for her. And I didn't have kids at the, that point in time, but I knew I wanted to you know, go down that path at some point. And in any event, it took about three years of, of that to really get through the other side, I would say. It's a couple of things there. You said, uh, you know, you focused on what you could control, you know, and it goes back to man, the mindset, right? You're in who you're surrounding yourself with. You talked about, you know, you're surrounding yourself with people who weren't just negative all the time, right? Weren't in the real estate business. They were focusing on improving themselves and all that. I'm sure that was so helpful. No doubt about it. Then you got back into real estate and, you know, was that something maybe your, your wife then was like, Oh, wait a minute, Kevin, you know, we're, we've already done that thing. You know, we're, we're focusing on something else. How, how, how did you all stay on the same page and move forward back into, into this space again? That's a great question. Cause honestly, she, she, she made a move on from commercial real estate. So she had worked for a number of banks. She did mostly lent on hospitality and retail. And uh, obviously both those got absolutely crushed as well, 2008. And the bank she had been with was taken over by the FDIC, I think about a year after we started dating. And so she was kind of fed up with having all of her calls with her clients became negative. I mean, basically calling loans due and, and it just, they weren't fun conversations. They weren't, Hey, we're ready to make you a new loan for this new project you have going on. And so, you know, she made a switch in her career to get into a different career path entirely. You know, at the end of the day, I, it's interesting because she's always been supportive. You know, I, I had to come up with a way to make money after things started crashing. I had to figure out a way to actually put food on the table and to just you know, make it by month by month. And I never had a real job. And so I would like to say that I'm, it wasn't funny back then, like, but I really wasn't employable. I'd never really had a, a you know, a, a true W2 job. And so I, I wouldn't even know, I wouldn't have known where to go at that point because it would have, in my mind, it would have had to have been real estate related because that was all my expertise. And so in, in real estate at that point, no one was hiring. She was always just very supportive of any idea I had, any entrepreneurial idea I had. Again, this is me trying to grind and, and fight my way through for these three years and find a business that actually 
could make reoccurring revenue month in, month out. And she never shot me down on any of those, you know, some of them were kind of harebrained ideas, right? But she never shot me down. And so when it came time to, to really talk about getting back into real estate, I mean, I, I kind of laid out a plan of here's how I'm going to get here. You know, here's how I'm going to get there. You know, I didn't have good credit time, but here's, here's how I think we can work our way around that and actually get creative with financing, this, that, and the other. And she was on board. I never, you know, she just never pushed back. She's always believed in me. I knew even before that point in time that like just, her being supportive during, you know, these kind of dark moments, like she was the one, like she was the right person. She, I mean, I found, I got really lucky and found that needle in the haystack. And so she's just always been there for me, no matter how crazy the idea was. And that's what entrepreneurs do. They come up with sometimes harebrained ideas, but you just got to roll with it. You know, if you've got someone that a loved one in your family that it's like crazy uncle Kevin, right? Like, uh, you know, just, you got to roll with it because sooner or later that one of those ideas, it's going to be the million dollar idea. So you got to be supportive of them. And that's just, the brands are wired a little bit differently. Our brands are wired just a little bit differently than a lot of others. And so, you know, I didn't get any pushback, Whitney, you know, as far as getting back into it. Um, she was, you know, mobile home park. She was kind of, she didn't really understand that so much, you know, like that definitely had, we had a lot of uh, dinner conversations related to this mobile home park and she never would go up and actually, she had never even saw that property until probably a few months before we actually sold it. So we owned it for almost 10 years and she had actually never even seen it. Thank God she didn't because she would have probably been like, what the heck are you doing? Because we took it over. It was completely vacant, had vagrants living in it, graffiti. I mean, like it was in rough shape. Shape, had been an REO for like two years. And so, but she questioned mobile home parks. Everyone has that. Everyone kind of lumps mobile home parks in that one bucket of like, they're just wrong side of the tracks, bad elements, you know, bad people in them. That's not the case. And so, but she was supportive and we pushed through. And once I proved to her financially, the success of that one, no questions asked anymore. It was just like a, Hey, go do your thing. Buy more of those. If that's what makes you happy and that's what makes money, go do more of that. Yeah, no, that's incredible. I just appreciate the color there too. Just you all being on the same page. No doubt that could have been so difficult. And I'm sure it was. Uh, how can the listeners get in touch with you? And also, I, I know you, you've re- written another book. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Whitney. Yeah, you can see it on my shelf back here if you're watching the video. It's called The Cash Flow Investor, you know, how to create legacy wealth uh, through commercial real estate investing. I just launched the book about a month and a half ago. You can buy it on Amazon for $20 or you can just go to my website and I've got a free copy up there for a period of time. Let's go to kevinbupp.com forward slash free book and grab a copy of that. And so you can also contact me through my website, kevinbupp.com. Let's go to the contact me page. And that's where I host my podcast as well. And if you want to learn about what we've got going on uh, as far as in the investing world, through our company, Sunrise Capital Investors. You can go over to investwithsunrise.com. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share it with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start investing in real estate today. Have a blessed day. 